0: this is the houston football show brought to you by the prime social poker club and inside edge with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock.
1: Welcome into the Houston Football Show. I'm Jason Braddock, and along with me, as always, is Pro Football Network's NFL Insider. And here locally in Houston, KPRC2 and Sports Talk 790's Texans Insider. Aaron, been a fun day in sports. we get to check any, uh, i say, non-football games today.
0: I did see the ninth inning. So, yeah, I watched Jordan Alvarez, his game winning home run. So, yeah, I saw that. I watched his interview. I thought that was cool. Uh, So, yeah, we cut that on really just at the end. And I was working and uh, took a little break to watch the ninth inning. So, yeah, that was cool. Go Astros.
1: Yeah, amazing comeback there. Just had a feeling the whole time they would come back. I didn't know it'd be in dramatic fashion like their postseason baseball, fun to watch, but we know why you're here. You're here to talk year-round Texans football. We do it once a week, every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, iLogic Media, Jonathan Dangerco and Mark Larson producing for us here. we always thankful for having those guys behind the scene, but let's get right into it, Aaron. Texans get their first week. Always great to get that win going into the bye. I'm sure Sure, the Texans have regret over how those first four games unfolded, wish to come out with a couple more wins. But with the parity in the league, uh, they're still in the hunt, specifically there in the AFC South, I should be more specific with. Um, but there were positives to take away from this game. I want to jump in there with this first win. Davis Mills, no turnovers. Sacked only once for the second time in three games. I think that's big. And uh, really, Mills didn't have those overthrows and sells. Uh, that we had seen in the first couple weeks. couple misses coming from pressure, Rex slipping out of the break, different things like that. Uh, what did you think uh, from Davis Mills in this game?
0: I mean, I thought he was just okay. He was solid. The best thing he did was he didn't have any turnovers. So when he doesn't throw interceptions, there's something of a formula here. And Lovey Smith was acknowledging that. I asked about that on Monday about if you could run the football – not turn the ball over and have some timely defense, including the takeaways they had against Trevor Lawrence, a couple of interceptions, one by Derek Stingley Jr., another one by Desmond King on the Hail Mary heave to end the game, then you can win a game with – and the special teams is like probably the only you know unit that's consistently good. The punting, Absolutely. great season so far by Kamei Furburn in the kicking game and – you know not a ton of big returns, but not a lot of mistakes. So, uh, pretty good kick coverage. Frank Ross, the special teams coordinator, has done a really good job again this year. And they have a lot of veteran players that are good right. at special teams, and guys like Grantland Arnold that have earned their roster spot on special teams. That's been a good unit. But Davis Mills, you know, it's not like he's playing terrible. He's just, you know, not playing a lot of you know winning football. The Best thing he did, you know, there was some trust throws to Nico Collins on the sideline. There was a really nice touch pass to Jordan Akins that set up the game-winning touchdown. I thought he did okay. I mean, it's not like the Jaguars have a bad defense. They have some talent over there, but he did enough. And essentially what they've done now is they've shifted him to game manager. Yeah,
1: this is 100%. And, and that. Wait, let me stop you there. Cause that's actually where I wanted to go. It's funny that you mentioned that because where is the balance and, and does it shift later in season? Like if they consistently lose or if they win, is it based off of that, but where is the balance in developing Davis mills weaknesses or, or playing to the strength? Cause you're in these games and trying to win the game and being a game manager, well, like
0: you mentioned, this point was made to me and it really resonated. Uh, someone with the team, um, They said that within the improvement, you're seeing a regression of statistics, but that he is a more complete quarterback. And I agree with that. What it means is he was only asked to read part of the field last year. So some of his success is triggered by just throwing to Brandon Cooks, who's open and getting comfortable doing that. When you're asked to see the entire field and go from progression to progression, the margin for error goes up. You have a more opportunity to make different kinds of mistakes, and so we've seen within the same game he's not consistent. You know, as Nick Casario said today, not consistent enough at least. Right. We've right. seen him yeah. slide in the pocket. We've seen him yeah. muscle some throws. We saw against the Chargers, uh, he led them back. We saw you know progress. The issue is just really when does he put it all together? And when he does put it all together, is his ceiling still very high? And the answers are kind of incomplete, but you know, we're starting to get some crystallization of what we think of Davis mills and it's a week to week proposition. But in my opinion, he's just showing that he's like a high end backup or a poor man starter. He's not showing you that he's going to be a top half upper echelon quarterback. You know, he's going to be in the, bottom 10 starters in the NFL right now, if you were ranking them and that's okay. Uh, you know, that's where he is. You, you, know, you have to accept him warts and all. He's your quarterback. If he yep. doesn't come turnovers, I am fine with them keeping him out there the entire season. And you see what happens in the off season. You just chop that up thin. But for right now, the way he played, there's nothing wrong with that. Jason, it's fine. It's just, you know, Obviously, they're not asking him to do very much. They kind of take a little bit of air out of the ball for him.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, someone could cut up bits and pieces of that. And may disagree with it, but if you take the totality of what you said, uh, I think it's beautifully stated. Uh, I think it states where he's at now, uh, how they're treating him, and maybe from that how they feel. So I won't add anything to that. Uh, I think that's well stated. Uh, moving on to another young player, a rookie in fact, fourth round pick Damian Pierce. What else can you say to this point? He's not a top rookie. He's one of the top five running backs in the NFL to this uh, this season. To this point, Aaron, what what else? do you say about Damian Pierce?
0: Well, you know, Damian is still improving. So this isn't true. Absolutely. In, true. in my opinion, like the finished product of Damian and you know, if he can continue to maintain his health and like as he did on Monday, uh, getting in the weight room, squatting with 425 pounds per Nick Casario. So he's doing everything in terms of recovery and maintaining his strength in the season he's a very strong runner. You know, 5'10 is not tall, but you don't really want a tall running back. He's 218 pounds. He's very strong. He's got a max squat that's closer to 600 pounds. He's very wow. strong. He's he plays much faster than his 40 time. I don't really care about 40 times it's more. What's your field speed? Like, if you can run sure. 75 yards for a touchdown, then you're fast. So he's fast. He's determined. And he refuses to go down. So he's very admirable as a running back. He's got a different style. Arian Foster was more of a glider. And this guy is a violent runner. And I don't think linebackers look forward to playing against him because he's up (laughs) in your pads, he's in your face, he's in your chest. He's in your, you know, grill really quickly. And he's a lot of fun to watch, right? Because, you know, the kid plays fast. His vision is improving every game. I know the 20-yard run is the one everyone talks about. What about the run where he sort of, like, stopped in the middle, right behind yes. the center, right behind yes. Scott Quessenberry froze the linebacker, and then cut back?
1: Oh, he got skinny. Yeah, and he does yeah, that really well. Cool, he'll, squat, he'll squat behind there, cut on a dime, uh, burst through a hole. know exactly what you're talking about. He gets skinny through there and uh, makes guys miss, breaks some tackles. Uh, it, 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 it's just – it's just fun to watch him. He makes he makes watching the film after the games a lot more enjoyable. Now, uh, moving on before we get to the, the –
0: go ahead. I, I actually passed on a comment, and I, and I said it to Lovey when we were having our little media comment. I just said to him, I said, you know, the way you're doing this, like, kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the things that Baltimore tried to do. Uh, they obviously added to that later, but they were just a team that ran the ball and played defense. Right, and they don't necessarily have a great defense here, but that the style of play, what they're trying to do, which is just blue collar football, that's fine. If you're winning, and I mean, there's no such thing as an ugly win. I I think that that was especially this year. More talented, so yeah, (laughs) play hard. As as Nick Casario said, they play their ass off. They play very hard, and they are a hard hitting, physical team. They don't have every piece they need, but I think the fans. Can live with and appreciate this team, you know, for what it is. Uh, they're they're in
1: every game, they're you know, no bells and whistles, right? Right? They're in every single game, they're competing. Uh, you wish uh, you know that the couple of these games swinged a different way, and then they're right there in the hunt, but uh, yeah, I think I I agree with you. I think the fans, with what the expectations were for the Texans coming in season, um. This is a, a fight hard team that the fans fans can ride along with understanding what this season the expectations are. And before I move to the defensive side, I, I don't think Laramie Tunsell and Titus Howard have gotten enough attention for just how good they play at that tackle position. Now if they're three and two, um, at this point, and they're tied for third best record in the AFC. Then I think we talk a lot more about Tussle and Titus. But when you're one, three, and one, a lot of stuff gets covered over. But uh, these guys are are just playing top notch with the protection there on the outside. And I think some of the interior struggles has kind of taken away from. What we've seen from Titus and Tunsil, and especially this last year, as good as Tunsil has been his entire career in past pro, I mean, what we've seen him putting together and the nastiness there and, and run protection, uh, how do you feel, you know, if they've played this year and you feel like it's a little uh, undersold, the talent level that they're playing at?
0: I think it's a much improved unit. And you, you look back a year ago, Laramie Tunsil, he tears a thumb ligament around this time last year, out for the year. Titus Howard playing guard, then playing you know out of position throughout the season. Justin Britt has COVID at one point, has some knee issues. You have a younger, more athletic center now in Scott Quessenberry. Right guard is better with AJ Can. He's solid. He's a respectable starting guard. And then Kenyon Green has talent. He still probably could get in even better football shape, a little more optimal condition, but he gets movement. He gets push. He makes some mistakes, and he also makes a lot of good blocks, and he learns a lot from Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil is a Pro Bowl tackle. That's why he makes $22 million a year. And nice. I think Titus Howard at right tackle is really natural. That's a good yes. spot for him. He's powerful. Uh, he deserves a second contract, in my opinion. We'll see You know, if they can see eye-to-eye on a deal at some point. I think he's definitely a candidate for that. He's They've got him secured for next year already on the fifth-year option. Maybe they'll play it out. We'll see. And, you know, overall, it's a good group. They have decent backups with Charlie Heck and Justin McRae. So they've got a little bit of depth. And they also got Jimmy Morrissey. I think the line is better. And they seem to really have been bought into George Warhop, the offensive line coach, and his teaching. And we see this uh, usually Thursday or Friday. They have homework. So they take – tests and they have written tests really and, quizzes, and the guys fill those out in the locker room that's like a downtime for them to fill it out and nice. so you'll see larry and all the guys doing homework when they're not talking or playing cards uh they have a running game but yeah the linemen it's a tight knit group they have linemen dinners uh that's not very rare but linemen getting together to eat but uh yeah get together for like a nice steak dinner and some of our Good local restaurants, uh, give them a couple recommendations. They don't need a lot of help finding the food, but uh, yeah, the, the big guys, <laughs> right. that's not a bad group. They're run. I mean, it's not just Damien. They're blocking for him and Davis does have a clean pocket most of the time. So yeah, offensive line better. That's an improved unit. And
1: You talk about the big guys, I want to flip to the other side of the ball before we hit this first break and uh, run through some of the defensive guys, maybe as a unit, talking about those big guys, let's stay there uh, uh, in the trenches. Defensive line group, Malik Collins, Rasheem Green, I think Rasheem's really been a blessing for these D ends with the struggles we've seen against the run. His versatility to play DN and D tackle what he can do against the run, but also from the past, we saw him at that D tackle position, battle ball this last game. We've seen him many times pursue to the sidelines and make stops against the run while also getting to the quarterbacks in those games. Malik Collins does a lot of the dirty work disrupting plays that goes unnoticed because it doesn't go into the stat sheet. And, um, To finish off on that D-line, these D-tackles, Roy Lopez, Kurt Heinish, Michael Drumford, I I think they may have found something with Lopez playing less snaps because he seemed more effective, especially on key plays. What's been your overall feel on on these guys, uh, those D-tackles and D-ends?
0: My overall feeling is, yeah, I agree with you. The Rashim at 6'4", 279 gives them a bigger defensive end. Then John Grenard, Jerry Hughes. So he is a physical presence and he's a good pass rusher. And then Jerry Hughes has got four sacks. He's off to a really good start to the season. John Grenard had to miss his pass game with a, you know, kind of a like a sprained ankle. Wasn't sure. real good on it last Friday. That was the only practice he tried. So they decided to sit him out. Wise move. He can get healthy after the bye week. Get ready for the Raiders game. And inside Malik Collins. The production hasn't quite been where it was last year. And, you know, he's rested every Wednesday. They're managing a knee injury for him. And I just don't think he's 100% right now. I think that's
1: a great point because a lot of times, Aaron, one, players go out there and play. Even if you see them on the injury report all week, if you're out there, we consider they're out there, I guess, as fans and media for the most part. So I think it's a great, you know, conscience point to make that this guy's less than 100%. But I still like some of the d- disruptions he's had there. Do you have any final thoughts on that D-line group before we move to the linebackers?
0: There have been some good snaps from Kurt Heinish, who yes. was, you know, one of their impressive guys in, in the preseason. And Michael dwan fourth and one. Yep. And, and Duan Ford plays well, too. Uh, those guys are tough inside and thomas booker was inactive this past game but he's given them some rush he's a talented player so they actually have some defensive line depth which i don't feel like they had as much of last year so it's gotten better and they've got quality starters and jerry using john grenard and they also have mario addison back and mario put a lot of snaps and i thought he was still shedding rust but you could see he was Uh, absolutely yeah you
1: see the speed the burst absolutely
0: yeah no i think he had something uh you know, I know like he had made a lot of plays because he's just right. gotten out there, but I would keep an eye on him for more. I think he's going to keep contributing.
1: Yeah, that's more than fair. That linebacker group here on the defense, a uh, couple guys, Christian Kirksey, Garrett Wallow, Neville Hewitt, uh, Reeves, and Maven, You know, We saw a healthy rotation of all three linebacker spots, whether they're in base 4-3 or when they're in their nickel package there. Uh, to me... And I like what Wallow did dropping in the zone, some other things he said. He had a really good game. Uh, but a lot of times, I, I think the rotating these guys in and keeping them fresh, what we saw some benefit to that from this last game. Do you think that'll be the formula going forward, or are they just trying to patch this up, weaknesses and strengths through games until they get Christian Harris back up to speed and a part of those uh, top three linebackers?
0: I think they're at a point now where they are going to think about how do they go forward with, I think Christian Kirksey is not going anywhere as the Mike, he's the defensive captain. Camus probably, you know, played a little less well than he has. And then I think there's been, you know, some moments, this was Garrett's first good game of the year. He had the ankle injury and now he's healthy. So we saw him nearly intercept a pass. We saw a really good tackle for loss. He's instinctive and I think he's a little bit of a cut above Blake Cashman who had been ahead of him when he was hurt and had the concussion. So uh, you always hate to see someone lose their job because of an injury, but that could happen with Cashman with the way that Wallow just played. For Christian Harris, they've got a obviously they eventually want to have him in the starting lineup and I could see not predicting this, but I could see it happening if Kamu doesn't pick it up where you eventually have Christian Harris, Garrett Wallow and Christian Kirksey, then maybe that's their best three.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, and if they have to do it, they'll do it. But I, I think that, you know, he's going to have to play the way he did last year when he was making a lot of off the ball, tackle for losses, and right now you know, he's not making all of those plays. He had a couple of good plays this past game. I thought he played better than he had in previous weeks. And, you know, I think the knee injury from the off season, he had surgery. I think that might be a little bit of a factor in what has gone on with Kamu. He's also just a little bit undersized as a linebacker.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. Really yeah. all
0: of them are. But I'm anxious to see Harris. I thought they were smart not to just throw him out there after – a couple of practices because he had missed so much time, Absolutely. and they 100%. just didn't feel comfortable because he never played in a game before. But I'm sure that you know he'll have a chance to be activated by the Raiders game, and then they have a decision to make. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100. So we'll, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit going forward. You got the bye week this week, then the Raiders game. They're they're at one and four for the Raiders. Moving on to the secondary, then we'll hit the first uh, pre recorded spot coming up here in a second, but. In that secondary, a lot of youth in that group, Derek Stingley, Jalen Petrie. I think he's still getting penalized because he had a lot of missed tackles early. He had one missed tackle in this game, but he's really starting to play with himself a lot more where you're seeing a lot less mistakes starting to click for him. Wasn't when, when that aggression And the speed and all that all clicks together. He's going to be a special player. Derek Stingley as well, tied for fifth in the NFL with five pass breakups. He had an interception, a late uh, pass breakup in this. We always knew Stingley was solid. And, man, tackling is just special. Hasn't uh, had a missed tackle all season to this point. He's playing 65% of zone. And so, I mean, he's getting – we know the Texans aren't playing for a Super Bowl this year. He's getting that on-the-job training, 65% in zone. They're only getting better. Desmond King really played well this last game. Steven Nelson was alert in zone, had some good plays as well. How much, especially the young pieces, how much uh, can this team really grow together this year and take it into future years?
0: I think considerably, Jason, you know, they're going to keep adding to this. So they're going to look at – you know what can you do to make this even better? And you can't have necessarily a high price guy every position or a high draft pick, but do I expect it to be Derek Stingley, and Steven Nelson? Yes, next year. I could see them having the same starting secondary with Jalen Petrie and Jonathan Owens. Jonathan Owens has played pretty well. He's made a lot of tackles. It's not good that he has to make so many tackles. The biggest problem on the defense is the linebacker spot, and maybe that Works itself out with some of the guys that they have that they want to plug in. So you know they might have the makings of a decent defense. I think they're going to eventually have to get better at defensive tackle. I think that you you just never want to settle. You want you know you want to aim high. You want to make sure you have enough good football players. They have some guys on one year deals like Rasheem Green. That I'm sure they'll you know entertain bringing back. And so there'll be some negotiations and things like that that will go on. Uh, going forward, you know, Camu is on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'll see how they proceed. But I think it's gonna be very interesting to see what they what's their thoughts on their defense. Are they in a spot where they need to improve and upgrade? But okay. I feel pretty good about the secondary. I mean they're they've played pretty well. They have had, you know, some challenging receivers and quarterbacks to play against. They did a good job on Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence has had Seven turnovers in the past two games, and wow. the fact that they were able to get you know some turnovers on him, the Hail Mary pass, and the way that Derek Stingley read his eyes, and yeah, I'd love to talk a little more about Derek after the break and against uh, yeah, what we saw from him, yeah, conversation yeah, great. I had with his with his father as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Great point on Stingley, how he played the odds there in zone, went and got that pick. In. Uh, also, check out Aaron Wilson on Twitter at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL. If you're not already, I'm at Jason Braddock. And you can uh, read those articles from KPRC to Pro Football Network, Sports Talk 7 idea that breaks down uh, the conversation that um, Aaron Wilson had with Derek Stingley Sr., about what Junior did in that game. So uh, great information there as always as well. Let's hit our first break. We'll come back and we'll get into some of the areas with Aaron uh, after this first break that they can they need to really focus on that needs improvement coming in uh, to that Raiders game. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality, Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you'll enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at myinsightedge.com. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchup specific insights and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's myinsightedge.com. All right, we're back here on the Houston Football Show. Jason Braddock along with Aaron Wilson. Talking about areas that need improvement, Aaron, uh, interior offensive line. I mean, we're, we're still seeing breakdowns in a running game. As you said, we're seeing improvement each week as this, this unit gets more and more reps together. But that interior offensive line has given up the pressure. We saw two guys come, Quesenberry, a little late. To get over to that second guy, Damian Pierce picked up the first one through the A-gap there. Uh, The delayed second guy coming through, Quezenberry's a little late to come off with Mills taking the only sack of the game in this one. Uh, Pretty good for the most part, but there's areas of struggle, and those areas are 90-plus percent interior offensive line. What do you do? How do you uh, work on this and get it fixed coming out uh, during the bye week?
0: I mean – not much happens during the bye week other than the players are off. So, you know, you'll self scout a little bit, and I'm sure there'll be some points of emphasis and things they'll say, but it's nothing the that they had already mentioned. You try to coach guys to not commit crucial errors, to not make mistakes, but, you know, there is no practice. So they're off. And I think the way you get better during a bye week is you rest up. But yeah, I, I don't see any actual like coaching points that you can make because you're not around the guys. So most guys go on a trip. They take time off, and it's a really early bye. It's not really a great timing for the bye, but they're also a pretty healthy team. So it doesn't really hurt them. They're going to have a long run with no weeks off. Sure. This is the healthiest you can get. I think that's the big emphasis. But, yeah, the interior offensive line – I mean, some of it, Kenyon Green will just get better with experience, you would hope. That was one of the play. things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he I mean, he, yeah, we've got we got to mention it, but this past game, you know, Kenyon's going to continue to get better and he's going to have down games. But it was surprising to me because he's just always been so solid in the run game. And this past game, that's where his biggest struggles, five different plays he had an issue with on the run game with only two and the pass protection. So um, it's that they're
0: just – I mean, Jacksonville doesn't have fair a lot of names, games, but they have some good players inside. and I feel I, it was just I,
1: more of a matchup issue this week. I think,
0: yeah, I think there's a challenge. I mean, explaining why people miss blocks or commit penalties is you know, something of, uh, I would say, a difficult exercise because you don't know, you know, if the player is simply just overwhelmed sometimes by who they're playing against. And sometimes there are mental errors. But, you know, with Kenyon Green, I don't think he's struggling as much as, you know, he's just not a very consistent, you know, completely well-conditioned athlete yet. But I think he can get there. He's really young. He came out of school early. I, I believe he's 21 or 22 years old. So, you know, he's a baby. I mean, he's a young, young football player. He'll get better.
1: Absolutely. Now, one of the guys, you know, you're talking about some of the mental mistakes and different things uh, players make. Philip Dorsett. At this point during the bye, you, you know, you talk about them not being around Well, the first week, obviously, of the bye. But then that second week, you come back for preparation for the Raiders uh, during that first week of the bye. And they're looking over the rosters and self-scouting. Does Philip Dorset roster spot? come in question. He's got one catch for 15 yards on four targets. And to this point, he's made more mis- costly mistakes by a, a large margin than he has a positive impact. I mean, the drop passes, the penalties, the missed blocks that are, are that killed a couple runs. I mean, his holding call, Aaron, on it made it first and 20 there late in the game until Travion uh, Walker bailed him out with the third and 20 roughing the passer. They've got four young receivers on practice squad. Do you give them a shot? Do you go out and add a free agent? Or do you just hold firm during the bye with Dorsett? Aaron?
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear your question.
1: Oh, I was saying with Philip Dorsett, he's only got one catch on four targets, 15 yards, made more costly mistakes to this point. Uh, then he's really benefited the team. We've seen the penalties, the drops, the missed blocks. Uh, I was reminding you about the holding call he had on, that made it first and twenty when Trayvon came back, the number one pick in the draft, rough Davis Mills on third and twenty. If he doesn't do that, and the Jags go on and win that Texans punt there, and the Jags let's say go on and win it, we're talking about Dorset costing them. They've costing him. He's costing the team so much at this point, more than he has a positive impact. Is his roster spot in jeopardy during
0: the bye? I haven't heard at all that they were going to make a move at wide receiver. No, so I, I don't anticipate that. They did make some other moves uh, on the line. So Casey McDermott, former Jaguars, offensive guard, University of Miami, has joined the practice squad. And they've also um, – make sure I don't mess up his name here.
1: Micah Treadway.
0: Uh, Micah Dutredway, uh, formerly of the Chicago Bears, 6'4", 308 undrafted from University of Minnesota. Also played at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So they bring him in and you know he had worked out for them before and they bring him in uh, now for their practice squad. So a couple practice squad moves and they also cut Nick Eubanks from the practice squad, the tight end that recently joined them. Well, doing, anticipate-
1: the, doing the simple math there, they're going to have to you know, you know add two, cut one, <laughs> They're going to have to make another move. We've talked last week about Jordan Aikens uh, probably getting promoted, which he did for the third time this past week. So do they kick the can down the road on Jordan Aikens being promoted and just make that decision? I mean, I had one person
0: predict to me that Brevin Jordan would be up and that Jordan Aikens would – Just stay on the practice squad. squad.
1: And And Shrek's got one more promotion.
0: Yeah, that they – they'll. You know, like you say, uh, kick the can and delay that decision. Yeah, so I think that's fair. But I mean, I think Akins has done enough in the receiving game. the The problem is, you have a draft pick that you spent not as high a draft pick as you did on Jordan Akins years ago, but that was Brian Gaines' pick. But Brevin Jordan is Nick Casario's pick. What do you do? Because in my mind, Jordan Akins is just better at this point as a receiver than brevin jordan so you know it should be fairly academic but maybe it isn't and some of it has to be like giving brevin jordan more chances to establish himself you know jordan Uh, is an older player he's 29 years old because he played minor league baseball for the texas rangers farm system and brevin is just at the start of his career so maybe brevin will get better but you know he hasn't shown yet i mean he dropped passes in the preseason right as well so I, i don't know i think they have a you know, decision to make. There is it a crucial decision. I mean, every decision is pretty important when your margin for error is so small. You know, you barely right. can win these games. They just won their first one, and you know, maybe they can beat Vegas. Maybe they can't. They don't seem sort to of match up well with some of the things that the Raiders have. But you know, we'll see. That's why they play the games. You know, yeah, they've got most, so
1: they've got several roster moves coming up. So I think Jordan akins you kick we'll it down we'll the, the road Thomas a little bit.
0: Yeah, so, Christian you know, Harris beyond. Christian Harris, there's at least, I would say, three to four moves coming up.
1: Yeah, because when we look at that, and let's project it, Tavier Thomas, and that's another one. It makes sense to hold him out. I think he's probably ready to go, and this is just me projecting uh, not Aaron reporting anything, but, I mean, just me reading tea leaves. I think if they needed him this week, he could come up and play. I think he probably, if they needed him last week, come up and play, but to do that, you'd have to cut somebody, and I think they like what they've got at that position, so you get a little extra roster spot with Tavier staying there, and you can buy some time with the 21-day window before you have to activate him. So, again, just with the Jordan Akins, I think they're doing some roster Olympics flexibility here, kicking the uh, can down the road a little bit on a couple players. Christian Harris, though, to go back to him, do you think he has a chance to uh, be promoted for this Raiders game? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes, I do think that will happen.
1: Oh, that'll be awesome. Seeing Christian here in a third round pick, everyone's excited to see him and they need that speed. I understand he's going to make you know some mistakes, have some bumps compared to Jalen Petrie as great as he's been. We've seen the missed tackles and other areas. He's going to improve. It's going to happen for these rookies. It's going to happen for Christian Harris. But uh, at this point, I'd like to see that speed added to the defense. Now let's play a little game of cut two or three, Aaron. So projecting Christian Harris, um, and let's say they kick it on Jordan Aikens, but maybe Tavier Thomas they bring back. Who's those bottom-of-the-rosters guys? They've got 11 guys active on the D-line now. Uh, is there a possible cut there? And we talked about well, Dorsett. Was
0: Jake, Jake Hansen. I mean, you could swap Would you? Out That's Vincent interesting.
1: I'm, I didn't think you would go there with Hanson, uh, but I had a note in case you did because I was curious. They've carried him, and he's been
0: active for five weeks. Outside of Garrett Wallow, Lovie. yeah, he a couple snaps. Special teams. He also played for Lovey Smith in Illinois. So
1: Yeah, and he played a couple snaps in this game as well. there on the defense to get he's, him in the mix. He's not a
0: bad player, but, I mean, you wouldn't want to Would you risk losing him?
1: Well, the, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not. I'm not I mean, saying you're you know, going to lose them for Christian Harris, but I think you, you got waivers
0: and sign with the practice squad. I mean, there's, there's. So you do of feel okay.
1: That's kind of where I'm getting at. Do you feel like they feel safe enough? You can't that feel like so
0: attached to this roster when the you're young guys.
1: But could you with the young guys? I understand you're not going to feel attached to the the vets, the older uh, guys. No, I, the I appreciate
0: you saying. I think Jake is worth keeping. My point is just that.
1: Not that not you as bad.
0: You can't have so many guys that aren't contributing on the fifty-three man. You have got to Fair you know, point. have more guys that are capable of playing and playing a major role, and that's what you ideally want to have. And as far as other spots,
1: but does you know, a switch have, get made at some point? With DB, I mean,
0: you have some flexibility. I mean, you could cut
1: Graham Arnold.
0: You could do a lot of things. There's some other DBs you could let go of to get. You know, Tavier back on the roster. Tavier makes them a better defense and a better football team.
1: Yeah, that's so, how I feel as well. He's he's better up on the roster. A missing I piece.
0: He's kind of a yes. glue guy. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, you talk about tackling. Yeah, he's one of the best tacklers on the defense. So, yeah, and they haven't played have a lot of dime. A defense.
1: They haven't played a lot of dime. So. Uh, if you bring Taviera back with the way Desmond King's going, I mean, put him out there with your safeties. There's your dime package. I mean, they had an entire drive against Jacksonville. The entire drive was nickel. I mean, yeah, you're in sub package, but there's no mix-up. There's no dime. And if they activate Taviera Thomas, I think we see a little bit more of a mix with some dime in there as well. So, yeah, it makes sense to get Tavier up as soon as possible. Damone Harris, they've got 11 active on D-line. Phillip Dorsett, they got four on the practice squad and four others active. He would make sense to me and isaac gideon but those are a couple i'm just kicking around jake hansen i kind of wanted to get the, uh after that with you because i was curious if you felt like you would be safe to the practice squad because if you get to some point let's say they lose the next two games uh and you're sitting there and it looks like all right we're just playing for development this season at that point your future linebackers are garrett wallow christian harris and at that point Trying to uh, kick the tires on Jake H- Hanson in season would make sense. So I guess that was my concern. But you feel like he would be safe to that point uh, and would survive the practice squad. And also to add to that, Grayland Arnold as well.
0: I mean, it's hard to predict that, not knowing what the true. other teams think. So yeah, that's true. I-, I couldn't really venture a guess, but I think these are chances that you have to take. You can't get squeamish about the roster. And Nick Casario won't. He'll make the tough calls he has to make and do everything he can to make some changes. You never know. There could be injured reserve. There could be other guys he can get off the team. He does have a tight cap situation, so every time he puts someone injured reserve and then has to replace them on the roster, so that's always tough. Uh, All right. I better get running. Uh, Jason, good to talk to you. I look forward to talking to you next week. We're going to talk about the Raiders game.
1: Absolutely, take care and appreciate your time as always. And I got to shoot you your $10 Starbucks gift card after you successfully oh, yeah, predicted. Absolutely.
0: And you got my um Chick fil A one, right? Oh,
1: I absolutely did. I, uh, the I, Raising
0: Canes, uh, the I have to I would have had to mail you the gift cards. So. No,
1: no, there's no worries. I got the Chick fil A and, and we'll, we'll, it think that of, day. we'll
0: think of something fun for Vegas, and I'm, I'm going to All Vegas right. for the game, so we'll, we'll oh, nice.
1: All right. All that right, sounds buddy. good. good Aaron Wilson, you take care, buddy. That's All right, That's Aaron Wilson, NFL insider for Pro Football Network, Texans insider for uh, pro, um, excuse me, for KPRC2 here locally in Houston and also Sports Talk 790 as well. All right. We want to take a quick spot here to uh, talk about our title sponsor. I'll get back into the second half of the show. want to break down different things. What's coming up? After the buy and some second half fixes for the defense and offense as well. Please keep it locked here. But first, let me tell you about Prime Social Poker Club. This is Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality. It's an upscale environment. that has got a fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables dozens of poker table every other Friday. Like I'll be out there this Friday. It's a bye week. weeks so I'm going to go out there this Friday and I'll jump on the uh, stream, the live stream with Reese. And we'll talk about it. You can see the games played. If you can't make it out there, watch the stream uh, at prime me and Reese. He'll be breaking down the hands. We'll talk a little bit about the sports going on in the city as well. But you can see how the hands play out, just as if you're watching the World Series of Poker with the percentages there, what outs remain, everything else. So if you're a student of the game, with some extra little added reps you can get there at the house, on your lunch break at the job. Check us out. I go out there every other Friday with Prom Social Poker Club. You should be going out there all the time. 7801 West Time here locally. They've got some great tournaments coming up. They've all Always got their nightly tournaments and daily tournaments as well to go along with their cash games. Whether it's Pot Limit Omaha or Texas No Limit Hold'em, you can get into your game there. We've got some big announcements coming up. We're planning something next month. I don't want to announce it now until we finalize it, but next month we plan to do something with them. Houston Football Show out there at Prime Social Poker Club. 78-1. West timer, go check it out. All right, let's jump back into it. Second part of the show. I want to look ahead a little bit. Texans next six games. And we talked about this a little bit last week talking about the next six games and Texans were able to pull out that first one. Let's keep the trend going looking at the next six games. Got that first win in the books. And you might not know this, but Davis Mills, this was only his second road win. Yes, hasn't been a lot of wins in his two years or year plus here in Houston. But this was only a second road win. Uh, And coincidentally, second time he's beat Jacksonville on the road. So Jacksonville is the gift that keeps giving in the AFC South, at least for the Texans the last nine times they played them. Well, the Texans have in these next six games an opportunity to get back in this AFC Southwest race. Right, excuse me. This might sound crazy to you. I know people talking about tanking and all of this, but It's not insane to think that the first four games of the season, the Texans could have easily won two of that. Whether you're talking Colts, Broncos, Bears, or even the Chargers with the comeback comeback falling short. Throw out any one you want to. All I need you to get on board with is that they went two of those first four. And anyone that watched those games played out and all the self-inflicted wounds and all the mistakes and still be there on par with them at home and on the road on those teams, The Texans were still in those games and competitive and probably should have won at least half of them. So with that thought in mind, this is the same football team. Yes, I guess you are what your record says you are, as the old adage says. But this is one of those situations that if just two of the four, not even the whole four, two of the four goes your way, you're three and two. You're first place in the AFC South, but also with all the parity in the league, there's nobody even undefeated in the AFC. So your three and two record would make you tied for the third best record in football. This team could easily be that. So keep that in mind. I just laid the foundation and the groundwork to just have you give me a little bit of leisure to lay out the blueprint for the next six games. And for the next six games, the blueprint is to win four of those. If you look record wise, you're like, no, they're going to at least lose four of those. You got two one and four teams, two three and two teams, a four and one and a five and oh. The NFL is always said to be a game of inches this year, more so than anything else. So each one of these games of being swayed, these are mediocre teams. There might be three or four good football teams in the NFL this year. Bills, Chiefs, Eagles. If you want to throw somebody else in there, have at it. There's nobody I'm, I'm banging the table for saying, yeah, this is one of the elite teams. And there's teams with four and one and three and two records that I think are some of the worst teams in the league. So I wouldn't pay too much on the record. Let's take this game by game real quick, second half, and what the Texans need to do. Keep in mind they need to win four of these six. First up, after that bye week, you get refreshed. Maybe you get Christian Harris back. Maybe you get Tavier Thomas back. After you get Mario Addison back, and he knocks a little bit more rust off. Uh, The team where most people are getting banged up, the one benefit of having that early bye week you're refreshed, you're rejuvenating. The Texans haven't been annihilated by injuries like some teams have. So it's a double benefit because you're getting players back. You're having your bye week and you've been relatively healthy. Now you go into that against a team in the Raiders, Raiders one and four, they have a worse record than the Texans. And this is a team I thought would be really good this year. They have a coaching staff in front office that Nick Casario and the Texans front office are very familiar with, know how they're thinking, know how they want to run their team, their offense, and everything else. So I think this comes down to the variables of familiar. I can never say that word. I'm not even going there. This comes down to them being familiar, and by that, I, I tilt the scales more towards, uh, towards Casario. And Lovey and the Texans in this situation and the Raiders have the pressure. They also on a buy and they come out of this one and five as a team that many thought was going to be a playoff team, present company included. And then you got the Texans that many thought would be the worst team in football and they're not. Now, you can say they're not a great team. You can say whatever you want. But, I mean, to say they were going to be the worst team in football, I just, I just never seen that, and they're better than 1-3-1. So we look at that list, expedite just a little bit more now. Uh, Texans, Raiders, 1-4. and four. It is on the road. We know Davis Mills does struggle on the road. He did just beat a Jaguars team on the road, though. But both of his road wins in his career are against the Jacksonville. So maybe that's just that jacksonville Duval blessing. Lots of talent on those Raiders teams, but they keep finding ways to lose the games. And the Texans have been kept getting a gift horse the first four weeks, but they just, uh, instead of looking it in the mouth, put a gun in it and shot it in the mouth. or shot it right in the head dead those first four games. Uh, game five, they took those blessings when the Jaguars were making similar mistakes and they didn't counter them, and they won the turnover battles. This might surprise you. We talked going into the season, the identity for the Texans is the successful running game, eating up the clock, uh, defense that's tightened the red zone, throwing down the seams, the tight ends, which we haven't seen enough of. I'll get into that in the uh, second half fixes for the offense. And um, But this team is who we thought they were, but they just keep shooting the gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. This Raiders team, they can beat them, even though it's on the road. And Davis Mills has played poorly throughout his short career on the road. But uh, this is one the Texans know they have to have, especially with the Titans following up that next week. Next week. And I think the Raiders, just like all the other teams with different injuries, dumb penalties and mistakes, that given the Texans opportunities not only to stay in these games but actually win them, I think the Raiders might do it. And they may have already done it. No matter what you think about the Devontae Adams shove, uh, and I refuse to call it shove No more adding gates to just anything and making it a thing. Uh, I've banned that officially, 2022. Copyright Ricky Bobby. So my thing is that you look at this, you know, you look at these situations that teams keep blessing them, and the Raiders have blessed them with possibly already with the Devontae Adams shove. He shoves the cameraman, if you didn't see it, after the Monday night football game. He did, came out, apologized, and I'm a firm believer people make mistakes, humans make mistakes. But that being said, you still got to pay your your penalty, and he could be subjected to a game suspension. I wouldn't even be talking about this if the next game after the bye wasn't the Texans, and that's why I bring it up because if Adam does draw a suspension, then the Texans could get another blessing, just like Shaquille Leonard not playing and Patrick Sertain going out and uh, J- Jerry Judy going out and on down the line. David Montgomery going out early. And they kept getting these blessings and they continu- possibly continue to. And it could start off with Devontae Adams, one of the top five receivers in the league. Moving on next to that Titans game, Titans three and two. I talk about don't buy into these paper records this year. Here's the Titans' three wins. They beat 1-4 Las Vegas, who we just talked about the Texans having that opportunity to beat after the bye. They beat 1-4 Washington, who is game five of these six games I'm going to talk about in a second. And they beat the only team the Texans tied this year, Indianapolis Colts who are 2 2 and one that's the Titans three wins and they should have lost the Washington game only reason they won the Washington game is because Carson Wentz was blessed with a pass interference penalty that gave him first and goal at the two yard line and with like 13 seconds so time to run off three plays they pass, 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 with the third one being a Wince interception. I understand they don't have any timeouts, but you can't get in from the two-yard on three plays. Y'all deserve to lose that. The Titans did not deserve to win that game. That's a beatable team. Third week, Eagles 5-0 in a league of parity. They've managed to be the only team to remain undefeated. They've got talent on both sides of the ball. This isn't parity for me. I think, I think what we have here is – You know, talent, true talent on both sides of the ball. And this is a team. Anything can happen on any any given Sunday. It's a home game for the Texans. I'm giving that one to the Eagles. If you still want a surprise one, all well and done. But let's just count that as a loss. You still need four of these other ones, fives. Those first two, I think, are winnable games for the Texans. Then you got four-on-one Giants. Paper record. I know we all love Brian Dable. (laughs) He's amazing. He brought Saquon Barkley back from the death. He made Daniel Jones a quarterback that you can manage a game around. I'm not buying the 4-1 and one start. Congrats on it. I'm not buying it. If Houston can stop Saquon Barkley, and if, and that's if he's still healthy, I mean, we see all the injuries happen around the league. I, I hate injuries, knock on wood. Hope Barkley stays healthy, along with all players. That being said. Uh, We know his injury history, and we see all the players dropping every year because of 17-game season, three-game preseason. Players aren't even playing in the preseason. You got new coaches. You got new offenses. You don't have time to install it. You're spending the first four or five weeks learning on the fly. And Saquon Barkley is that offense. He's the Jenga block that I talk about a lot of time. You take Saquon Bar- Barkley out, the whole thing collapses. Can the Texans take him out? I don't know. They haven't shown that yet. If they can fix it uh, by the time they face the Giants, they've got a possibility. We'll see how that plays out. I think that's a winnable game. Home against a 1-14 team Washington team. This is a game you better win. You're playing Carson Wentz. You're at home against a 1-14. If the Texans, you know, what I mean, if they went two or three before this game, let's say the Texans went three or four. Like, I think they have an opportunity to not saying they're going to because uh, they've had these opportunity to win three of the first four or maybe four or four, depending on how you view it. And it came out with one tie. So I can't give them the benefit of doubt. What I'm saying, though, is there's an opportunity. If they win two or three of these games after the bye, say they lose the Eagles, they beat the Raiders, Titans and well, whichever way you go with the uh, Giants. Now you got this one of four Washington team. You're back in the hunt if you win this game. You're at least you're back in the AFC South contention because all these teams are mediocre and they're going to feast on each other uh, all season long. Lastly, I think that's so. I think, I think four four of those first five of the next five games after the buy are winnable games, and I think you have to take into account where you're playing at getting that early bye week, being refreshed, coming back, getting players back and benefiting from not getting hit with a lot of injuries. And also Davis Mills getting more uh, comfortable, Pep getting more comfortable on how to coach to Davis' strength as well. Uh, last game, Dolphins. For the season, I wouldn't have counted this. Early in the season, I want not have counted this. But the three and two Dolphins have Waddle banged up, Tyreek banged up, tour banged up. Now, this is seven weeks out, so anything could be the case at that point. But uh, even if they're back healthy, this defense has got so many injuries in that secondary. People are throwing all over them. This pass D can get torched, And a lot of these teams, if you run through these next six games, And you look at how they're ranked. They either got a hole on their run defense or pass defense, or either both. None of these are stellar defenses outside of probably the Eagles. When four of those six games, the Texans are in hunt for the AFC South. That's why I'm not getting into the draft talk yet. That's why I'm not getting into the tank talk, because I think this is a team that should already be among the top three to six teams in the AFC, if if even half the things went right that went wrong for him first, I like, I think it's advantageous where they're getting the buy and how healthy they've stayed and the players they've get, uh, gotten back to this point. And so my belief on this is that uh, they can win four of these next six games. But I just reported, I just watched the movie and report on it. Uh, they lay out the plot for me. Right, let's take another quick break. We'll come back in, uh, in this show uh, right after this on the Houston football show. All right, and I'm going to tell you about the Inside Edge. One of our title sponsors, Inside Edge. And if you haven't heard us talk about Inside Edge or if you're not following me on Twitter, at Jason Braddock, and also, you probably already follow him, but just in case, at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL on Twitter. If you haven't seen the tweets and the stats from inside edge that I put out there, this isn't me. This isn't me. I crunch crunch a lot of stats, look at a lot of film, all that, but this isn't me. This is inside edge. And who's inside edge is probably what you're asking. Well, if you've seen the money moving money ball, you can probably relate a little bit more over 30 years. They've been bringing analytics to professional sports back with major league baseball clubs now through sports franchises through every type of league in sport. And they've made it available. You know, PR staffs, have this package, your favorite websites have this. So it's just these incredible stats, and now they've made it available for free to you at myinsideedge.com. Go to myinsideedge.com to check them out. Also, if you like to bet the lines, you got to check out the best part about my uh, about Inside Edge are their five star picks. Last year, NFL season, they went 34 and 14, a 71 percent hit rate last year. And you get one of these picks if you want to d- dab your toe in just a little bit. See, see what, if it's all what it's cracked up to be. $20 for the one pick. But let me go and tell you, if you're looking for the deal of the lifetime, get the entire season of picks for only $149. Tire season of five-star picks from Inside Edge for only $149. Use code Houston. Get an extra discount on top of that. Alright, we're back to the Houston football show. Listen strong here. Got a couple more segments here where I want to talk about second-half fixes. Uh, went a little long, went in the last Last segment, I want to speed this up a little bit. Zone coverage. They have to get better in zone coverage. And I, this is one of the second half fisk- fixes. I want to start on the defensive side. But part of that is the reputation. Repetition. You've got two rookies that are playing tons of reps, and these are live reps they're getting. The Texans aren't expected to play for a Super Bowl or go deep in the playoff or even to make the playoffs. They're playing this secondary 65%, 70% of the time in zone coverages. We already knew who Derek Stingley was, man coverage coming out, and I knew he was a good tackler. I didn't know he was this great of a tackler. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Jason Braddock, you'll see the Inside Edge tweet earlier where – I tweeted out he's one of only four defensive backs in the entire NFL that has a 0% missed tackle. Meaning every tackle, all 24 of his tackles, he, he hasn't missed, he hasn't missed one tackle. Only four DBs in the entire NFL and this one's a rookie hasn't missed one of them. So you got that you've got the man coverage, and you see when they play him in man that 30 35% of the time and they ask him to go against number 1, he's right there in that hip pocket. When you need him to be that guy, he's going to be that guy. 2023, 2024, whenever it may be, he's going to be that guy. I like what they're doing with it. Now that I'm seeing a little bit more of the Picasso come out or the Peyton uh, develop a little bit more, because a lot of times we got to just read the tea leaves and see, especially with Casario. He's not going to give you a lot. He had a press conference today. I think he said they play football at NRG or something groundbreaking like that. Uh, Dude's a genius. He don't he doesn't have to be personable to me if he keeps making the decisions he's made, the large majority. And you're not going to agree. You'll see me criticize decisions of head coach, OC, all that. Take it with a grain of salt because it's in the totality of everything, it might just be a grain of salt. If Nick Casario is doing 80% of the things I think are just genius, I can brush that other 20% on the rug. I don't need him to be personable. I need him to get Christian Harris in the third round. I need him to get Jalen Petrie in the second round. I need him to get Damian Pierce in the fourth round. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Once you got that type, once you got that type of clout with like, oh, okay, let me just shut up and sit back and watch. Let, Let you finish painting. So. We're starting to see more of that pain and how Stingley's development's coming along. Where 65% of the time, 70% of the time, he's in zone coverage. Work that weakness in a year where you don't have high expectations. So next year, when you hope to make that deep playoff push, then you have a well-rounded Daryl Revis. And that's what the expectation is. And when you take a corner third overall, that's what the expectation has to be. I think that's what the expectation was. And the crazy part about it, I think Stingley can hit the expectation. We'll get more to that. Let's continue to see the zone uh, develop him. But he showed two plays this past week that really showed him like, uh-oh, it's starting to click. One was the – uh Interception there in the end zone. Aaron talked about him looking and seeing Trevor Lawrence's eye. Right before that, he's in zone. He's off to the side. He knows it's tight, restricted area. Somebody's got to be around. He looks for a man in the area, locates him, immediately turns back to Lawrence, reads his eye, then gets in a position for the pick. That's that. He's not making that week one. He's not making that last week. Seeing that type of growth, you're like, oh, okay, all right. Let me Let me let you work. I see what you're doing now. And it makes a ton of sense. And when you see big picture of the Houston Texans and what Casario and staff are, are building here, linebackers dropping all season, let's move on from the zone coverage here. Well, a little bit of an add on, I'll say to the zone coverage all season when the Texans defense holds the opposing offense to a second and long third and long. What do quarterbacks do? especially vet quarterbacks. Now, the Texans caught a little bit of a blessing getting Justin Fields, Russell Wilson struggling, Matt Ryan struggling for part of it. Uh, you know, the quarterback playing Trevor Lawrence, obviously, as well this past week, they've caught a blessing. We're not getting that Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, you know, vet guy that can just, all right, you're playing this soft zone. You're giving too big of a win of pop, pop, pop. But it has been so soft, softer than it's supposed to be. So it's not Lovey's defense, it's how it's being played. Part of that is the linebackers getting deeper. Part of that is Stingley still growing and getting the field exactly when he releases, and when he drops. And it's coming to him, as we just seen. I mean, the end of that game, to put a period on the Stingley thought from earlier, the end of that game, he's in zone. They throw, I don't remember his fourth down or what, but they throw and Petrie was over the top. Stingley drops in coverage and gets his second pass breakup, his fifth of the year, second of the game, fifth of the year, which makes him tied for fifth in the NFL. So you're seeing that click for him and seeing Stingley grow as a player. But that defense with Stingley and other players, even safeties, but it's mostly linebackers. Uh, and you'll keep hearing them talk about the issue being the linebackers because they got to help out against the run. We're seeing too many missed tackles not fill in, and they got to help out against the pass. We're seeing too many zones that are soft, that are softer than what they're supposed to be or what Lovey would expect. And I'm putting words in Lovey's uh Mouth there, but what I would imagine Lovey would expect. linebackers is dropping though. Defense does a great job, holds him into a second and long, third and long. Vet, vet quarterback just drops back and he's hitting that soft spot. He's just waiting from the clear hip to hip to move into that soft spot and throw it in anticipation. You can't stop it because it's just too soft because of the coverage. Aaron talked about Garrett Wallow coming back. He made a difference. We saw him not only get into that passing lane, make a pass breakup one time. We also saw him get back. He was kind of confused and turned around. But even though... He was still getting back into the feel of it. He had closed that window so much it made it so tight. Lawrence had to overthrow the window. That's wallow dropping in coverage, and that's what you want to see from your linebackers that you're not seeing from Kamu in coverage. You're not seeing from Kirkwood in coverage. You're not seeing from Neville in coverage uh, the few times he gets in there. You see him in a run game, but the Texans have a bunch of linebackers that like, oh, he can do this, he can't do that. He can do this, and they're patching them together, and the rotation made a lot of sense. I thought that was artwork this pat past week the way they rotated all three guys kept them all fresh bringing guys in and you saw it it erased a lot of the mental errors and some guys especially Kirksey played better early and late in the game in key situations and I think that rotation played a part of it so Texans are continuing to develop it's not just the rookies or Davis Mills that's continuing to develop the coaches are learning their players the um The personnel's learning their personnel and where the weaknesses are. And so I think the bye week, most years, week six bye uh, could really hurt you. This year, I think everything, when you bring it all together, is actually beneficial to the Texans. Also, getting Christian Harris, we talked about him getting back. I want you to have some patience with Harris. Mind, let's go back to the Petrie analogy. As great as he's been, as exciting as he's been, the interceptions, the big hits, he's also leads the league with nine missed tackles, had one more. So we're seeing him slowing it down and correcting it. The game's slowing down for him. And uh I don't want to bag on them too much on those missed tackles because they were so front of the season heavy. and so we're starting to see them come on. but the only reason I bring it up now is because I'm not saying Harris is going to have nine missed tackles early in his career. What I'm saying is they're going to be bumps. He missed. All of camp, you know, maybe, maybe not all of it, but he was hardly out there struggling with his injury. Then he comes back. He's got to get the playbook. He's got to get the live refs. Then when he gets in the game and he gets the live refs, he's got to understand the feel for his teammates around him, what he's seeing, and the speed of the NFL. It's going to be a lot, no matter how talented he is. Give him some grace of a learning period, but I'm excited to see his speed in that defense to help try to patch up some of the holes. Pressure. Pressure, pressure. If you're going to play 65, 70% of defense, the D line needs to create pressure. This Texas defense, you know, I mean, they're not getting there to the quarterback uh, at the rate like, You'd want to. Addison, I know he's knocking Rust off. Hugh showed well early in the season, but this past game, it was late in the game when they come down and pinched the pocket that both of them went on a play. Outside of that, you really didn't see them. They were stonewalled for most of the game. Rasheen Green is the guy making the impact in the running game. He's the one getting in on D-tackle and sub-packages, I mean, um, on – passing situations, third downs. He's kicking in on D tackle and batting balls and stopping running plays. He's been pivotal. They have to get Grenard back. And I know you got the buy coming up. Aaron said he should be back after the buy uh, for that uh, Raiders, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to misquote him on that. But uh, he should be coming back after the buy as well. You need Grenard and you need somebody else. You need somebody consistently get after the quarterback. If you're going to run zone 65 70% of the time, cuz you need the pressure, you need to move the quarterback off of the point and it's not happening right now. And they're just sitting there waiting for guys to clear the hip to hip to hit with anticipation to those soft spots of the zone and that's what's killing killing us all. But I don't want to give you the negatives on all the fixes without pointing a positive. I think it's really being brushed under the rug on this defense just because the team's won 3 and 1. This Texans defense is a bit underrated. Let me tell you the struggles first before I tell you where they're underrated. Yeah, they're 29th against the rush, horrible against the rush, rush yards, game, rush yards per play, however you want to divide. They're 29th. They're not good at it. They're also 29th and first down allowed per game. Now, some of that might have to do with the Texans offense giving up the most three and outs that the Texans defense just sees so many series and that. They're just worn out, giving up more of these first down conversions, but 29th, both of those categories and back to the pressure 20th and sacks per pass attempt, uh, you know, bottom third of the league not good enough. Um, so we look at that before I tell you the positive, though, and where I think they're a little bit underrated. I, I called Lovey's defense in a press conference. Ben, not break. And he said that's it's not a compliment. And I didn't mean it as a compliment when I asked it. Uh, I meant it for what it is. It's a bend, don't break defense. Between the 20s, you can move the ball. You can hit passes. uh, And you could possibly get some gashes uh, there in the run game. But when you get down into that red zone and when you get down to goal to go, it's lockdown. It's almost like, you know, you see the green and then you see the red. Territory on most uh graphics on NFL screens when they're showing the field. Well, that green is almost that graphic's almost like the Texans defense, except it's like green from 20 to 20. Then you get inside that 20 and it starts turning a little orange, just kind of you know, almost reddish. And then you get inside that 10 to 5, closer you get, it is just pitch fire red with this defense. The Texans defense, some areas that might surprise you, they're ninth in interception rate, they're fifth in red zone. They're first in goal to go. The Texans defense is the number one team in the NFL in goal to go situations and top five fifth in red zone situations. Yes. Some of that's a benefit of the numbers due to seeing Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan struggling, Trevor Lawrence struggling, all of that. But this is the same defense. If we want to say that we got to say this is the same defense that allow those players to light them up between the twenties, uh, Run through them between the 20s. Once they get down to the red zone and go to go, it becomes lockdown time, and they have done that. All right, last segment of the night. Let's look at second half fixes on the offense receiving back. I've been saying it before. The preseason, during the offseason, I feel like I've been saying it for years. I don't have anything against Rex Burkett, but. I'm not a guy that just I can meet a guy in a locker room and be really cool with him. He misses a play. I'm going to put a video up of him missing a play. That ain't on me, dude. That's on you. This is this is your film. You're writing this book. I'm reading this book. And so they might have, you know, players might have hard, hard feelings. I'm not talking about Rex. I don't know Rex. Never met him personally. Um, so I don't know him personally. He might be the world's greatest guy. This is a billion dollar business. It is bigger than Rex Burkhead and those that love Rex Burkhead. It is about the Houston Texans, the Houston Texans fans, the those in the building. It's not about doing right by one player at the end of his career. Last year at 31 years old, Rex Burkhead had, had 124 carries. That's the most carries of his career at 31 years old. The team that drafted him didn't even Rush him that much. His most carries with before that, I think, was like five, six years ago. Was like 26 years old or something, and he only had 74. He comes to Houston at 31, he gets 124. Then the next year they draft back, and the first game they give him 50 snaps. And Damian Pierce, this stud rookie, is top five in rushing despite only getting 20 offensive snaps week one. So like, all right. W- We finally got a force and we've been called out with force and we'll play Damian Pierce more at running back and Damian Pierce plays more running back and he's stellar, but they're like, all right, well, We got to get Rex involved somehow. Let, let, let's throw him some passes. Rex Burkhead is the most targeted running back on third downs in the entire NFL. He is 32 years old. No statistic can you find has he been good on catching the ball, running after the catch, or doing anything with the catch. And he is on pace to shatter his career. At 32 years old, he is on pace to shatter his career high in targets and receptions. He's not a receiving back, but you're like, well, we got to give Damian Pierce rest. No, 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 no. You're setting up that storyline. You knew you needed a receiving back before the season. And, uh, and Damon's a rookie. He has done things well in the receiving game, but he has to be more consistent. He's not catching some of these balls cleanly. He's not getting it and ripping it right after he catches it. So I understand why you want to go with a guy that you can definitely know is going to pluck it and go. And I understand in that situation, when you forced your hand, why Rex would get that. But if you're talking about, Five weeks into the season, Rex Burkhead is your receiving back role. He's your Austin Eckler catching out the backfield. He's your Darren Sproles. He's your Alvin Kamara or anybody else that is a young receiving back that has a receiving role that you would consider to have the most targets as a running back on third down, the most critical Point of the game. John Elway used to say it, NFL quarterbacks get paid for what they do on third down. The Texans are trying to find out if they have a franchise guy in Davis Mills and he is struggling no more so than on third down among the league's worst. Because he's struggling on third down, it's leading the defense to playing more reps and they're getting worn down. Where does this domino effect start from? That third down conversion rate? give him a damn back that's a receiving back and not rex burkett this is crazy that we're in week five if week five is over headed into week six into your bye, and still discussing this don't get mad at me for telling you this is some stupid stuff explain it and i will back off but there's no explanation if you want to give them like rex had a great run this last game backed up in the end zone think it was like a third and seven. He comes in the hole, got a guy face-to-face, gives him a shake, makes a miss, gets a first down. Rex was fresh. You want to give him one or two carries, one or two targets in a passing game? Have at it. Y'all can talk about it, you know, Sunday's offseason, but "Ah, you remember when I brought you to Houston and I let you get the most carries of your career your first year and I let you get the most receptions the second year and made you one of the most top receiving backs. Ah, That was crazy. I did it to the whole city and made all of Houston, Texas fans and media watch it. Oh, that was crazy. I can't believe I did that. Cut it out. This is football. In a game of inches, in games where if you won two of those first four, you're the third best team in the AFC. You blew it. It's on you. You played Rex Burkhead 50 snaps. Casario, Lovey, Pep, I don't get. I don't care who it is. Somebody's making that decision on it. You played him 50 snaps. And the guy you drafted in the fourth round is actually a really good running back. You only played 20. And even though you held him back in the first 12 weeks, I mean, excuse me, first five weeks and only played him uh, 20 snaps week one, He's top five in the NFL in rushing. How do you justify that decision in hindsight when everybody beforehand was telling you it was dumb? So these decisions... You can't say, well, let up on it. You know what's happening? No, no, no. These decisions, there has to be a consequence. There has to be another. You can't go into the bye week and know this is an issue and still come out the bye and sell it as like, well, you know, there's nothing we could do. It's not like we have a couple running backs on the practice squad. It's not like we have Darre on the active roster that could actually possibly catch a ball out the backfield. It's not like we can go sign anybody off a of 31 other practice squad. It's not like we could sign a free agent. You could get a receiving back literally from – anywhere the whole thing of why you don't draft the running back early is because you can get these guys especially guys who are just one role specific guys not a three down back a guy that's going to just catch out the backfield maybe you get lucky and find a guy who can catch out the backfield and block out the backfield anyway something has to happen there and they need to go get a receiving back if they're truly playing this year if you want to tank tank no issue with it then at that point I don't need you giving Damian Pierce 20 plus touches a game. Both can't be true. Both can't make sense. Rex Burkhead's work and Damian Pierce, both can't make sense. You either need a receiving back if you're trying to win games or you need to limit Damian Pierce to 15 touches a game because this year isn't meaningful and you're tanking. I have no problem with you tanking. I don't understand it. Now, the players in the locker room might have an issue, but I don't think this team is tanking. You see the workload they're giving to Damian Pierce. That just means the Rex Burkhead is an illogical decision that's not backed up by the eye test, not backed up by the stats. And it's just a personal decision that is holding back a team and it's holding back to a point where they're one, three and one, when they should at least be three and two last I'll say on that moving on Uh, number three, wide receiver, Philip Dorsett shouldn't be on the roster. I'm sorry. I, I you know, I, uh, why are you calling for all these people's jobs? It's a business. I look at it as a business. I cover it as a business. I'm not trying to go to these people's house on Monday and have tea and crumpets with them. Philip Dorsett has one catch on four targets. He's got multiple, he's got more drops than, and he has catches. He's got one catch on four targets for 15 yards, and he gave you a penalty and crucial point of the game. He's costing you at four times the return <laughs> than what he's giving you in return. It, 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 his roster part, roster spot doesn't make sense at this point. I'd rather see Tyler Johnson. You've got four young guys on the practice squad. I'd rather see one of these guys come in and get the rep. The number three wide receiver spot has been so bad that Mills didn't even throw to a third wide receiver this past week. You realize that Mills wide receivers he targeted was only Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks and the two running backs, Burkhead and Pierce. And then the three tight ends. He did not target Tyler Johnson. He did not target Philip John, uh, Philip Dorsett. And there was points where. He may, I'm not going to say because I couldn't see his eye on it, that he may have seen one of them open and went to the next free, And I wouldn't blame him because with all the drops, I don't know if I'd trust these guys as well either. You've got to get that number three wide receiver position. I don't know if it's one of the four guys on the practice squad. I don't know if it's Tyler Johnson. I don't know if it's someone on another practice squad or a free agent that's out there. But if you're competing to really try to contend in the AFC South, which you can do, then you have to find that third wide receiver. And you've got to do it now. Uh, you've got to play the mill strength. They've done that at times. Get ahead of the change. Stay ahead of the change. They showed Davis Mills on a first and 10 doing some RPOs where he runs with it. I love that. I think they should do that more. It takes another rep off of Damian Pierce's I- legs. And I know he didn't get a ton of rushes in, in college. You're like, well, why are you worried about his workload? Because it's real. If you get close to 400-plus touches, your body starts to break down. Jonathan Taylor, 299-plus touches, three straight years in college and his first two years in the pros. It's just how humans are built, and we've seen it time and time again, no matter how talented the running back is. So be cognitive of it. Don't put more work on Damian Pierce than it has to be there this year if you're not playing for the AFC South. And I think they could be playing for the AFC South. But if you're not, then fine. Give Burkhead the work or anybody else you want to keep him on a 15 touches. But if you're playing for the AFC South, man, then you need, you need to give it to uh, you need to give Pierce the work and you need to find unique ways to take reps off the Damian Pierce, even in these games in contention without the fall off that RPOs with Davis Mills and a true receiving back. The RPOs first and 10, you catch him off guard. They're so scared of Damian Pierce at this point. He's got 18 broken tackles. The next closest is 13 in the entire NFL. Run that RPO. He's going to get you two to five yards every time on that. Get ahead of the chains. What else it does, it gets you, or stops you from those foolish offensive line penalties that set you behind on chains, wide receiver penalties, so on and so on. Also, more seam and underneath throws. I know, uh, yeah, we don't want Davis Mills to be a check down. That's what I keep seeing people saying. He hasn't been a check down guy. I, I, I want to see it. The team's built for that. Check down, check down, check down. Do it. Just have a receiving back to check down and you'll be surprised how much more efficient the offense gets to interior offensive line. They've got to be better. I understand Kenyon's a rookie, but five busted plays, five different plays in the run game, two in the past. Uh, I, I, if he had five bad pass reps, I would understand it more because of where he's coming from as a run blocker. Five, five different plays. Again, rookie early in his career, not going to beat a dead horse too hard here, I guess. But, um, a, a, you can't have that, especially with Quesenberry and A.J. Can't have him plays, messing up. But the chemistry is really starting to come along. Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard just playing at an exceptional le- level. And Tunsil's really taking his game up in the run game this year. So that interior offensive line, they have to find something to be more consistent. And they really start breaking down in short yardage situations. And in the fourth a uh, fourth goal, excuse me, fourth fourth quarter. So in those situations, the interior offensive line, they don't get better, it doesn't matter who the back is, who the quarterback is, the team's not going to get better. If the interior of the offensive line is soft, the entire thing collapses from the inside. Fourth quarter, fixed the fourth quarter. It's not all on Mills. Uh, some of it's offensive line, some of it's drops, but a lot of it is on Mills. Whatever it is, the team as a whole has to be better in the fourth quarter, uh, protecting Mills. He has to be better getting the ball out and protecting the ball in the fourth quarter. Seven of his 12 sacks this year have come in the fourth quarter. Three of his five turnovers have come in the fourth quarter. Mills, and the Texans have to be better. More than anything, they have to be consistent. They've got the formula in place. You've got a dynamic top-five running back. You've got a top-five turnover margin, team, defense, however you want to – but, yeah, they're tied for fourth in turnover margin. Uh, I think they're plus three, if I'm not mistaken. That's a formula for winning an elite running game winning on the turnover margin, and a game-managing offense. And that's what I'd run with Davis Mills. I think the formula could change later in the season, but early in season, run that game-manager offense Like while you're still in the hunt, and don't worry about improving on his weaknesses unless it's just like a shot here or a shot there to just see if he can improve on it in-game. Now, you get to the point, you're 7 one one, one six and one You get to the point, it's clear that, hey, you're playing for a pick at this point, Anyone else at that point, I'd still leave Davis Mills in at quarterback and I would start playing towards his weaknesses and see if you can develop that up by the end of the season to help you make that decision in a draft. But that's the bye week episode. Wind and buy is what we're calling it. The 12th edition of the Houston football show every Tuesday. Year round, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Aaron Wilson, Jason Braddock, with the iLogic iLogic Media crew producing. We appreciate you always checking us out, telling somebody about it, and sharing it on social media as well. So we continue to grow this and continue to build it because we got some great plans in store where we want to go with the Houston Football Show. That's it. Twelfth episode in the books. Can't believe it's already flown by that much. Enjoy your bye week. We're back at it next week, previewing those Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> Prom Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year. So you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer.
0: This has been the Houston Football Show brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge. (music) Thank <music> you.